You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Visit bpn.fm to discover more. As the Olympics head into the second week, it's been a great reminder of the lessons we artists can learn from those Olympians. In my episode with Sally Wilford, she reminded us singers how we are small muscle athletes. And anyone who's been through a tech rehearsal process knows what a marathon can feel like and striving to reach the finish line. Mindset and mental health are also so important. Athletes like Simone Biles and Naomi Osaka are recent examples of how competition and especially expectation can wear down even the best performers. Back in November of 2020, I did a five-part series called Bettering Ourselves, Bettering Our Careers. And in the last episode of that series, I spoke with Team USA silver and bronze medalist Kristen Hetzel. Now, she's a runner and cyclist who is also an actress, personal trainer, and holds a doctorate in physical therapy. So today's episode is a rewind back to my conversation with Kristen, who, as both an athlete and actress, gave a lot of insight into how the two are similar and how the discipline and exercise of one can help the other. I'm just in that place in my in my mindset of I know what my goal is. I know I'm ready for this. I'm trained for this. Let's go. Welcome to Why I'll Never Make It, featuring conversations with fellow creatives about the realities of a career in the arts. I'm your host, Patrick Oliver Jones, an actor, singer, and backstage expert. To join the WinMe community, go to whyillnevermakeit.com. There you can sign up for the monthly newsletter, as well as gain access to members-only bonus episodes. That's whyillnevermakeit.com. Now, I'm not just a podcast maker. I'm also an avid consumer of podcasts as well. And one of those I've recently discovered is called 10,000 No's, which confronts the harsh reality of rejection inherent in the acting profession. It's hosted by actor Matthew Del Negro, who is also a backstage expert. And in a recent article, he talks about his athletic days in high school, playing football and lacrosse. He was seen then as the stereotypical dumb jock, despite the fact that he also made the honor roll and was able to play piano and sing a little. But since growing up and becoming a performer, he's found some of the same attitudes in those who now dismiss him as just an actor. But apart from these foolish assumptions some people make about athletes and actors, these two professions share quite a bit in common. Both require training and discipline in order to compete. Nerves are as much a part of opening night as they are the championship game. And neither is a stranger to defeat or failure. So there's a lot we actors can learn from athletes and certainly vice versa as well. So that's why I'm talking with Kristen Hetzel, a world-class cyclist and runner who competes in the duathlon, which is a multi-athletic event of run, bike, run. But as I mentioned at the beginning of this episode, she does a lot more than just run, bike, run. And it is this variety of experiences and achievements that, that makes her so unusual and inspiring. It goes back to something psychologist Brooke McNamara said a few episodes ago about top athletes and the importance of having a diversity of skills and knowledge. 
So he has some interesting examples. In my own work recently, we looked at, we were primarily looking at sports, um, and we found that the Olympic athletes, so the very, very top world-class athletes, were more likely to have started their main sport later and to have practiced more other sports than their main sports. And this world-class attitude and drive has been with Kristen from an early age. It is her love of and excellence in sports that has given her a foundation and mindset for the work she's accomplished in adulthood. Yeah, I've been involved in organized sports since I was eight. And yeah, it's that, that was my first love, and it's still my main love. Um, and yeah, so it started at eight years old with gymnastics, softball, um, moved into basketball, volleyball. I pretty much, I loved athletics. And so I just tried all these different sports. And it's interesting because in high school, I was doing softball, volleyball, basketball. And um, it was really funny because I didn't even know at the time there was a sport that would be track and field cross country, which would just be running. Right. So it was kind of funny because I was good at softball, good at basketball, these other things. But the thing that kept coming up is everybody would comment on how fast I could run around the bases or how fast I could run up and down the court. You know, so it was kind of this theme that kept coming up. They're like, she never gets tired in practice. And I'm like, who cares about that? You know, I want to be known as a good basketball player or whatever it is. Uh, but so it's kind of interesting that my forte of endurance sports was kind of there. I just didn't yet recognize it. <laughs> Since it was a natural talent and you had a kind of a, a love of it to begin with, then what did you have to do in order to, to get better and to keep pushing yourself, as you said? Well, I started it in high school, uh, cross country and track endurance sports. And then I had a full scholarship for cross country and track in college and that really set me up for sort of the later goals that I had because just the training regimen and the, the commitment at a collegiate level, uh, you know, two-a-day practices, just everything like that and, and having great coaches and, and them fostering my natural ability, it, was, it just worked out really perfectly to um, develop more in college and then into grad school. That full scholarship she earned was at Wheeling Jesuit University, where she first studied pre-med, but eventually settled on biochemistry. (laughs) She's one smart cookie. But it was after college that she really found her calling. The more I learned about the field of physical therapy, I just realized how much it fit with, with what I, with what I'm interested in, just the human body and how it can recover and, and its capabilities. And so um, from grad or from my undergrad, I then got into the doctorate program in physical therapy. And so going through college, you played in sports and then you became a physical therapist. Did you even think that sports would be a professional goal on down the line or, or did it seem like you put that aside and now you're focused on other things? It was always the goal. I, from a very young age, when I fell in love with athletics, I knew my goal was to always I wanted to always get on Team USA. And I, at the time, I didn't even know what sport. I didn't even know yet 
what I would be good enough at to get to that level. Well, because at the time you were playing 17, so it was just a matter of picking. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Yeah. So it was always the goal to take my athletic potential to its highest ability. And I was at peace with whatever that might be. I mean, if, if maybe just getting on the team, if that's as high as I could get, that, then that was great. But if, uh, as I kept improving and getting faster, I realized, uh, you know, being on the world stage was realistic, you know, as in last year, I got the bronze medal at the world championships. So now my next goal is the gold medal at the <laughs> world championships. And so, yeah, that was always the, the driving force. Um, and even why I decided to go with physical therapy as a career, as opposed to being a medical doctor, you know, I wanted to be able to still train and have that pursuit. And I felt like as a medical doctor, that would just be a, a bit more difficult with the time constraints. And with your love of sports and, and, and now this medical knowledge, how have both of these helped each other grow and improve? Oh, they feed off each other in a big way. Uh, my knowledge, my clinical knowledge of the human body and how to uh, prevent injury as well as treat injury and just to keep everything healthy, uh, muscles and, and joints and everything, it, I've helped myself so many times because in my training, I can recognize things as they come up. You know, a lot of times an athlete who doesn't have that knowledge you know, you go on a run and maybe your foot or your knee is a little tweaky, but you're like, yeah, whatever, it'll go away. Or you maybe think, I'll, you know, I'll just keep training. But it's really great because I can recognize exactly what it is like, oh, that's because my calf's tight or this needs mobilized. And I can sort of nip it in the bud before it becomes an injury or a problem. So, um, you know, that helps that side. And then being an athlete really also helps my physical therapy because I can relate to other athletes. Um, I'm, my specialty is orthopedics and sports. So I think as a therapist, not only having the clinical knowledge, but being able to relate on a personal level and understand what an athlete's going through if they have an injury, that I think that the, the patient can relate to me and, and we get a better outcome. So what exactly led you to the duathlon specifically? This is a fun story. Um, I was racing on a professional cycling team at the time in Tucson, Arizona, and I'd never heard of the duathlon. I'd heard of triathlons, um, but never the duathlon. And I was at my the, the local bike shop that was our sponsor. I was just getting my bike worked on. And there was a flyer on the wall that said duathlon national championships they were in a one month in Tucson. And I was, I said to, um, the sponsorship coordinator who was there, I said, Oh, do Athlon. I, I don't even know what that is. And she's like, it's a run bike run event. And she said, didn't you run in college? And I, at the time I, I had just been bike racing. I had taken a couple years off running and I said, well, yeah, but I haven't run in about three years. And she's like, well, why don't I sponsor you to do it? And if you place in the top three, you would make Team USA. And and I thought, well, you know, what's the worst that can happen, right? I blow up and it just doesn't go well. So I did that race and I just, I, I did qualify. I got third and I fell in love with it. I was like, okay, 
cycling and running are my two loves and there's a sport where I can do both. That's amazing, you know? Combining the two, I must imagine, is quite daunting to do both back to back in that event. It was at the time because I didn't, I was so new to multi-sport that even transitions, right, which as a triathlete or duathlete is, is just a part of what we do. At the time, I had no idea how to transition and what that even meant. And so it was kind of funny that first race, just how clunky <laughs> some of the pieces were. Um, but in any case, it, it turned out well. And largely my bicycle portion at the time carried my two runs because they weren't that fast. <laughs> yeah, that, that is the one nice thing about multi events. It's exhausting because you're doing so much, but at the same time, one great part of that event can carry the other. Mm -hmm. Yes. Well, one thing specifically when it comes to sports, we, we recognize the, the dedication that takes and the hours of training before game day, before a meet or whatever. And so kind of go through your process of what it's like, the the, the training, the discipline. It really is a day-to-day -day thing. It's not like you, you, you know, you can take a week off, take a month off. It's kind of a day-to-day -day thing in order to maintain it. It's very much a lifestyle. It's something you're always doing, if that makes sense. I mean, yes, you have the hours in the day that you're physically training and working out, but it's the whole lifestyle of what I'm eating is very mindful and paired with what's going to help me recover better and what's going to fuel my training best. And the stretching before workouts, after workouts, um, I stretch before bedtime again, just to loosen anything up that got tight throughout the day. I do ice baths. Um, just all, you're right. It's, it's, it's definitely the thing that as athletes often talk about is it's consistency. And it's kind of a lot like acting. It's like you just keep on keeping on and not having those gaps where you just fall off the wagon and then it, it, you're trying to get back on. So the biggest thing is just the day-to-day -day lifestyle. I mean, sleep also. I love my sleep. I sleep nine to 10 hours a night. Like That's just critical to making everything else run good. So it's very much a balance. Both athletics and acting are physical exercises and require us to use our bodies and have them in their best condition possible. But the mental preparation is just as important. Gwen Gillis is a marketing coach for actors and talks about having an Olympic mindset. And many of the qualities that help athletes perform at their best also apply to actors and artists as well a passion for what we do, a fundamental belief in ourselves, the ability to focus and push aside distractions, a unique mixture of both discipline and creativity. It was a couple of months ago, I was watching Serena Williams play at the US Open and due to COVID protocols, there was really no one in the stadium, but the two players and the umpires. And, and I was struck by how alone she was on the court. The immense amount of focus needed to stay in each point, letting go of her previous mishit and getting in position for the next swing of the racket. Serena is a dominant force in tennis, to be sure, but watching her in that tournament, I noticed how she keeps it simple. One move, one point at a time. But, but of course, such simplicity is easier said than done. 
It's something that comes over time and with constant repetition. I think in this case, experience is so much of it because the more experience you have racing and the more confidence you get in your racing and training, you can just hone in in that zone and not be distracted. So I love when there's crowds because I I kind of feed off the noise in the crowds, but it's also if there is no crowd, it doesn't my race is the same either way, if that makes sense, because I'm just in that place in my in my mindset of I know what my goal is. I know I'm ready for this. I'm trained for this. Let's go. And so the other stuff just um, it's it's uh, I, I don't let it distract me either way. So I assume that happened over time because you said experience. So I, I would assume that early in your career, uh, both either with that uh, professional biking team or once you became a new athlete, that distractions and, and other things did hinder you a bit. Yes, sometimes they can. I mean, it's it's one of those things that it just as in life, you know, things can pop up in a race. Something happens with your bike or maybe you get a side stitch running or you had something different for breakfast that didn't go quite as well as you don't feel as well. And so um, I think early on, without having the experience of multiple races, I'd kind of get more in my head like, oh, you know, is this going to mess up my race? Can I hold this pace? Can I push through this? Whatever it might be. And then it's just a case where when you've done enough races, you've done enough training, you know your body so well. And, and so it, it's almost like I have this really intimate relationship with my body. We, we're in tune. And, and it's a case that I know I, I'm okay. Whatever it is, it's like I can stay focused and work through it. And um, I had a mechanical happen one time in, on my bike. And I was winning. And I had a pretty strong lead. But there was a piece literally falling off my bike. And I had no tools on me. So I had to stop about every four miles and screw this thing back on. And I'm just like, I think in the past that would have rattled me a lot more, but I was just like, you know what, I'm going to do the best I can. And I'm just, just not letting this mess up my mindset. And I ended up keeping my lead and winning. Uh, So it just good, you know, gave me that, that experience of like, it pays to stay focused. You mentioned that voice kind of saying, Oh, is this going to affect your race? Oh, can you keep going? How has that voice changed over time as your experience has grown? And and how have you interacted with that voice, I guess, in, in a better way to not let it discourage you? I think a lot of it is the, the drive behind my athletics has changed a little bit. When I was younger, it was very much fueled by wanting to win. You know, it's kind of that I need, uh, you know, I want to win and that's the goal. And then as I got more experience, I realized that I really love what I do. It's my passion and it's my happy place. And so the irony is when I took that approach of like, I just love this. I love racing. I love what I do. And I kind of let go of, of course I want to win, you know, but that, but, but I was sort of focused on the love of the sport. What ended up happening is I won a lot more often I had a lot more fun. I had a lot less injuries or or problems come up. And so I got out of my head a bit more 
and more into my heart and body of just experiencing what I love to do. It's that old adage of, of when you stop focusing on the problem, then you can actually deal with the problem in a much better way. Yes, that's right. Yeah, it's kind of it's kind of this thing of of surrendering a bit and letting go. Like you're in control and you're ready and you're trained, but it's it's just a different uh, motivation than this like you know force like I have to win <laughs> kind of mechanical <laughs> thing uh, that that's that's just not as fluid and it doesn't flow as much. So for each year, that first competition that that you placed third in that was 2012, correct? Yes, correct. Yeah. And so since then, you've continually made the Team USA and, mm-hmm. and, and continue to compete as a duathlete. Do you find that you're getting better? Do you find that other competition pushes you and they're getting better? So you then push? Is it a constant back and forth? Yes. Yes to both. I am getting better, which is wonderful and a lot of fun. Um, (laughs) Just uh, again, with that, what we were talking about earlier, that consistency and just year after year, the training and having my body is so much more um, adapted to the training load. So every year I can actually train more hours and train harder. And it's not a big deal to my body because it's like, Oh, okay, we're ready for this now. So I'm definitely getting faster each year. And at the same time, the duathlon has gained a lot more popularity since 2012. So a lot of triathletes, a lot of runners, cyclists like myself, have migrated into the sport, which has made the competition much more fierce, which is great because just like you're saying, it pushes me to find a new level myself uh, because it's like, wow, these girls are fast. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm curious in those events where you didn't place in the top three, what did you go through after losses like that to either stick with what you're doing or completely change and try to get better? Well, I definitely, you know, it, it was a case that that every race I do the best I can that day. Sometimes that gets me first place. Sometimes it might get me fifth place, um, whatever that may be. I'm content in, in, on that day knowing that's the best I could do. And so in those particular races, uh, it was a lot of like, wow, so-and-so is really fast right now or whoever, you know, they had a great race or a great bike. And then at the same time, it's um, acknowledging and, and appreciating that I had good competition to push me, but also looking at the times and saying, okay, where, where could I have been better? Or, oh, my bike wasn't as strong as it should have been, or maybe I didn't do as well with the hydration. It was a hot day. And so just kind of analyzing. Uh, my coach and I, we always have a debrief after a race and we go over, you know, what went well, what could have been better. And so that's always a great learning tool because it, I'm very, I'm a very driven person and I love to, you know, figure out how can I improve? And, um, yeah, so, so it's kind of both. It's always a, a good learning experience if I didn't do as well as I had wanted to. Now, if there's one thing that this podcast knows well and is all about is that learning from our stumbles and setbacks is an important part of furthering our careers and really improving our lives in general. Allowing failure to be a scratch, but not a tattoo. 
A few years ago, the very successful actor Will Smith made a video that went viral on Instagram, and it focused on the mantra, fail early, fail often, fail forward. You have to get comfortable with failure. You have to actually seek failure. Failure is where all of the lessons are. You know, when you go to the gym and you work out, you're actually seeking failure. You want to take your muscles to the point where you get to failure because that's where the, the adaptation is. That's where growth is. That's the reason for practice. Practice is controlled failure. You're getting to your limit, getting to your limit, getting to your limit. You can't lift that. You can't do that You until you get to the point that all of a sudden your body makes the adjustment and then you can do it. But bringing success out of failure can depend greatly on our definition of success. What exactly do we want to accomplish? Because sometimes achievement can take us in the wrong direction. In 2016, at an advertising industry festival called the Cannes Lions, Will Smith opened up about a low point in his career. It was in the midst of the enormously successful Wild Wild West movie that came out in 1999. He said, I had so much stress that I started to taste global blood and my focus shifted from my artistry to winning. I wanted to win and be the biggest movie star. I found myself promoting something because I wanted to win versus promoting something because I believed in it. And as the old saying goes, winning isn't everything. Successful people fail a lot. They fail a whole lot more than they succeed, but they extract the lessons from the failure and they use that, the, the energy and they use the wisdom to come around to the next phase of success. And for Kristen, that next level of success was the world of lights, camera, action. I, I mean, she certainly had the drive and interest to begin that journey, but the skills and craft of acting were new to her. You know, it's interesting. I did not have any experience uh, formally as an actor. And at the time, I was doing a lot of fitness modeling and was having a lot of fun with that. And so it, it really just became a thing of, I think life is really exciting and I love trying new things and just seeing. I mean, maybe I'm not good at it. Maybe I am. <laughs> um, and so from the modeling, I just got intrigued by acting and thought, you know, I want to look into this and explore it. And so I actually started training in, in film acting classes. Oh, okay. um, so that was my first, uh, my first experience, which was great because I learned so much on camera technique and, you know, all the minimal movement and, and eye lines and all of those things. Um, but then from that really fell in love with the commercial acting. And so transitioned a bit more into that and then it also paired so nicely with my training because, you know, with a commercial, it's one, two, three days of filming versus booking a big film project. So I was still able to train and book commercials. Yeah. 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 And so what was that? What was your first on-camera experience, that, that first job that you booked? The very first thing I booked, it was kind of funny and as you know how acting can be, you just you just don't know. Um, it was a commercial for Scott's Liquid Gold, you know that cleaner. It's oh, like okay, right. Wood, and it was it was so funny because 
I'm, I'm an athlete. I don't do my nails. My hands are not, I mean, you know, that's just not an area I spend any time on. And so it was really funny because I showed up to the audition, not knowing it was for a hand model kind of a spot, you know, they were just going to have close-ups of my hands. And uh, so they're doing all this. And, you know, I have like bite grease in my fingernails. I'm like, oh, oh my gosh, embarrassing, you know, and I booked it. So it was, just, it was just the funniest thing that, you know, sometimes when you think, man, I, I had a really good audition with whatever it was and you don't get it. Other ones you're thinking there's no way. <laughs> yeah. You really so. just never know. You really mm-hmm. just never know. Yeah. So one way that acting and your professional athleticism, one thing they share in common is raising money. You know, we, mm-hmm. we as actors gig to gig, we're trying to keep the money coming uh, month in, month out, which has certainly been hard during this pandemic. And much in the same way as a professional athlete, you have to raise your own money to fund all of the training and everything that you do. Yes, that's right. Um, I do have some sponsors, which are wonderful to me, and they help offset the cost a lot. Uh, but yeah, it, it, it's an expensive endeavor for sure, because we are, uh, I am funding my own racing, travel, lodging. Um, and then especially with uh, international competition and races, you know, you're flying to Europe and things like that. So it's definitely, uh, it can be a struggle at times. But just much like acting, you know, it's it's the love of it that keeps us going. Um, a, a lot of people are like, "Oh, do you make a lot of money being an athlete?" And it's like, "No, not not really." <laughs> is, is it mostly there to just cover the expenses as as opposed to actually make a profit? Yeah, I would say for me, yes, because the duathlon is not as popular as the triathlon. And so I think, um, and just having friends who are professional triathletes, it's a little bit easier to get sponsorship money because it's more well-known and uh, there are more triathlons, you know, and everybody's heard of Kona and, and some of these big Ironman races versus the duathlon, although it's gaining a lot more popularity, it's not as well-known among the masses. And so sponsorship is a little bit, trickier sometimes just because the the company or the individual is they're looking at their return on investment and and how you know having you be out there in the in the public's eye um so i do have quite a few sponsors uh locally and some bigger companies that help offset it a lot as far as how you've raised money what is that sponsorship like how exactly does that work i sell it as um especially with the local sponsors, because I'm very involved in the community. Um, as a doctor of physical therapy, I have athletes and, and clients, patients, different training groups I'm working with. Um, and then social media, having a, a, a brand of sorts that, you know, this is Kristen Hetzel, Team Hetzel, uh, that you're going to be a part of as a sponsor. And then Winning definitely helps. Uh, the, the more I'm winning, you know, people like that. It's the more podium finishes you have, the more pictures on social media and, and media pictures. That's a great way to get more uh, name recognition to my sponsors and more awareness about what what they do as a company. And so, uh, besides just wearing th- their name, uh, what other responsibilities do you have to these companies that sponsor you? So I definitely am tagging them on social media if I'm if I'm 
just in general day-to-day social media stuff as well as uh, training uh, events before races, during races, after race stuff. I'm always talking about them. Um, a lot of the local sponsors, I train in their gear. So Burn Fitness, for example, is a, a gym here in, in uh, Los Angeles. And uh, so I go running with their tank tops and logos. And, um, and, and, and it's amazing how much awareness there gets. You know, people often are like, oh, do you work out at Burn Fitness? Oh, I've heard of them. You know, so a lot of it is just wearing the stuff on me when I'm out training to get that. Uh, to get that awareness as well. What was the first time that you were recognized as, oh my gosh, that's Kristen Hessel? <laughs> oh, um, I I don't remember the first time, but it is a lot of fun uh, locally. Sometimes I'll be running and, and, you know, somebody will be like, Kristen. And then I turn and they're like, oh yeah, you know, I follow you on Instagram. I'm like, I thought that looked like you or, or something like that. And, uh, or, or, you know, you being at the swimming pool or something and somebody saying like, Oh, I was at this race that you won. You know, I'm a big fan of watching you race. And, and that's always so awesome to, to see that and meet people who are interested. Uh, I'm curious about your training because obviously run, bike, run is the duathlon and that's what you focus on. But I would assume that you then branch out into other areas that that also strengthen those two particular events. Yes, that's right. I do triathlons. Um, I do even half Ironman distance to get that strength and endurance from those events. I do a lot of just straight running races, 5K, 10K, half marathons, um, cycling races. Uh, If there's a stage race, cycling stage race, that might even be like a three or four day race. Early in the season, those are great to get the strength on the bike. Uh, so definitely a variety of different pieces to strengthen the duathlon. And what from your physical athletic side would you say carries over into the, the acting and on-camera work that you've done? Like what can us actors learn from athletes like you? Ah, uh, yes. Perseverance, not giving up, believing in yourself, um, not, not letting failure get you down. Cause you know, we've all had as actors, there's a lot of auditions you aren't going to book and you have to keep yourself excited and motivated and, and, and keep going. And so the skills as an athlete have really helped me in my acting because of that. Just, just not having thin skin and being able to kind of just, okay, that didn't go well, or I didn't book that and forge ahead and, uh, and keep on keeping on. You know, in many ways, that's what this year has forced all of us to do, to just keep on keeping on. So I asked Kristen to share what she's most thankful for. I am grateful for all of the incredible people in my life who support me and love me unconditionally. It's um, a difficult thing sometimes, you know, to be committed to something to such a degree that there's a lot of sacrifice involved at times, physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually. And so 
I'm just so blessed that I have a great team of people. Uh, we do team Hetzel has become a thing because there's just a lot of wonderful people who uh, just support me unconditionally. So I'm, I'm so thankful for them and, and my sponsors because without the support of all of these people, I wouldn't be able to do what I do. Right. Yeah. It really is not just the the physical aspect of the, the training and the coaching and everything, but it's also the the emotional support that everything you get behind the scenes before you even get to the race that's so important. That's right. And I always am mindful of that when I'm racing, that it 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 took a village kind of a thing. Like I'm the one in the race at that moment, but I'm representing and everyone who has been behind me and there's been a lot of effort and time and commitment on so many people's behalves and their belief in me to get me to that starting line. So Mm. I never forget that. Would you say that there has been, uh, sacrifices you've had to make in your personal life, either whether, whether it's dating or family or anything like that, that has come up because of your athletic pursuits? Yes. Um, a little bit of, of all of those, you know, the dating, it takes um, a particular kind of person who understands and accepts the time commitment and what I'm, what I'm doing. Um, so there's been situations from dating wise that perhaps we had to part ways because I wasn't willing to give up a part of me that was very important. And mm-hmm. at the same time, I uh, had to respect and honor that, that they didn't, they didn't want to be on board with the time commitment that it took. And so there's that. And then just the day-to-day stuff, you know, there's a lot of fun parties and events sometimes that I miss because I have to get up early 4am for a race or a a big bike ride or whatever it might be. Uh, But I love what I do. So I never feel like it's a sacrifice, if that makes sense. Right. It's a, it would be great if you could, if there were 30 hours in a day, so you could get it all done, but you only have the 24. So you have to make some choices. That's right. Yeah, exactly. It's just about choosing and being committed to, to what I'm doing. And also I have found over the years, I've gotten much better at balance in that balancing relationship and, uh, you know, my physical therapy career and all of these different things. I'm at a place now where I'm much more peaceful and grounded because I can be present with each piece that I'm doing instead of getting frazzled. Like, oh gosh, there's so many things I'm doing. It's it's more, I've gotten very good at when I'm, whatever it is, with my patients, I'm 100% with them. If I'm with my boyfriend or my family, if I'm training with my coach, I'm just very present with whoever and whatever I'm doing. And that served me really well to not get frazzled or anxious. I like that. I like that. Yeah. That's, that's something that I, I have to balance too. Cause right now this podcast is really all that I have as far as my time. And, and so I'm trying to like make the most of it. I'm trying to think of new and better ways, like, like, like different episodes or themed episodes, or maybe I can do a bonus one, you know, and, and then the editing and and everything and doing these interviews, you know, each part of that, that podcast process takes time. And yet I still want to be, you know, available to my husband and be able to be a part of that and not ignore him, but I still want to focus. So there is that balance of trying to uh, make sure that both get the, the appropriate time that they need. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. Yep. All right. All right. Thank you so much. It's been so nice to talk to you and meet you. Yeah, you too, Patrick. I really had fun. Thank you. 
I hope you too can find that balance of the personal and the professional, recognizing the hardships, but celebrating the joys as they come along as well. We've all had losses and been through a lot this 2020, but as it starts to wind down, just take a moment to appreciate what you do have and who you have in your life. Like I mentioned to Kristen, this podcast has really been my only creative outlet since the shutdowns in March. Some episodes have been great with good feedback, while others haven't generated much attention or listenership. But if I'm being honest, the the number of downloads hasn't really mattered to me. I just want to make something I can be proud of. I've wanted to have conversations that just meant something to me. I want to connect and collaborate with fellow artists and and not feel so alone, so untalented, so unused. In the last several months, I've barely acted in what few auditions I've had. I've not performed a song since March. And Equity just sent out an email to members touting the thousands of work weeks theaters have generated since this pandemic. And I haven't seen or heard of any of these. But some are finding work and ways to keep their creative juices flowing. Like previous guests, Chaz Wolcott and James Monroe Stevko, they've been teaching dance online. So check them out to get your body moving and keep up those dancing skills. In fact, I've got a whole page of things that you can check out if you're wanting to stay connected and motivated and creatively active. You can find it at resources.winmepodcast.com. But for me, what's truly kept me going is having this podcast, having you listening and hopefully benefiting from it. I'm not sure how else I would have made it through these months. So I'm immensely grateful for the chance to make and share this podcast. Well, I'm your host, Patrick Oliver-Jones, editor, writer, and executive producer of each episode. Music provided by Blue Dot Sessions and Chad Crouch. This podcast is a member of the Helium Radio Network and Broadway Makers Alliance. Join me next time as we talk more about why I'll never make it. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together we rise.